When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in to Dark Corner Media. By the way, we are also on YouTube, so if you like pictures instead of just listening, you can also do that. Just search for Dark Corner Media. I should probably start this episode out with a trigger warning. For our viewers that are sensitive to Nickelback songs, you may experience symptoms of revulsion and excessive sweating. For the music snobs, if you experience any dizziness or upset stomach, use this time to contact your family doctor while listening to any obscure independent artist while spreading avocado on toast. Now that that's out of the way, time for why you should hate Nickelback. The Art of Selling Out So to start out, I should apologize for the title of this video. Just a tad clickbaity. It was natural to bring them up though, since they have been the ultimate example of a hated band that is mainstream. They've become the ultimate punchline for music fans worldwide. So much so that examples of this permeate pop culture. And that is despite selling more than 50 million albums worldwide, being ranked as the 11th best selling music act and second best selling foreign music act of all time, just behind the Beatles. And on top of all of that, Billboard named their smash hit, How You Remind Me, as the best-selling song of the whole bloody decade of the 2000s. So how in the hell do you get a band with that level of success being claimed as the worst band of all time? How is it possible that there is so much hate for a band that has achieved so much? Well, to answer that, we need to go back a bit. Today, we're looking at the art of selling out. And of course, the consequences of doing so and how all that pertains to Nickelback. Origins of a sellout. Now, the term sellout has gone through some changes throughout its history, though as it pertains to music, the overall impression has remained the same. Before the 50s, it was a term used to describe a crowd at a show, like a sellout audience or a near sellout. But it entered the realm of music as an insult when black audiences and musicians would criticize gospel or jazz performers for tailoring their acts to appeal to white audiences. Cannonball Adderley was one of the first to be accused of doing so. And even though it may not have been his fault, his music was grabbed onto by the adoring public and his fame just went up. And at this time, music was still quite divisive. Gospel and jazz were still considered black music. Elvis Presley was just a whisper on the cheeks of industry execs, and music was still considered to be quite political. Then the second folk revival hit in the 60s, and Bob Dylan emerged. Now, if you don't know, he became a well-known singer-songwriter and was considered an activist for many of his songs. He was the poster boy for what music should be in a lot of people's eyes. Now, he was one of the few that walked out on the Ed Sullivan show to protest censorship. He was part of the protest for civil rights, singing at the March on Washington in 1963. He was a hero of counterculture. And when he decided to shed the acoustic guitar and go electric for the album, Bringing It All Back Home, many saw the move as Dylan trying to grasp at money, all because he was performing with a quote-unquote rock and roll combo. And when the single called Subterranean Homesick Blues hit in 1965, it came with a video. That wasn't the biggest deal, 
But what was in the video upset a lot of traditional people. Now, Dylan could be seen flipping through cue cards that illustrated the lyrics before throwing them on the ground. The problem with that is several different companies picked up the exact same approach to some of their advertisements very soon after. And Dylan, he said nothing. And let's be honest, if you want to be called a corporate whore, just make sure your video looks like an advertisement. Rules of selling out, Metallica. Now, I guess we should clear a couple things up. There are a few ways that an artist can sell out. The first is probably the most literal, for any musician to allow their music or any part of their brand to be used in any type of ad campaign. The second way would be for an independently successful band to sign with any of the major labels, leaving their roots behind. This was one of the more egregious sins that a band could commit over the years, flipping the middle finger to the smaller independent labels and as well as their loyal fans that stood behind them through thick and thin. All for a big payday. Now, the third one is more of a precursor to number two, but still considered as vile. This is when an artist changes their sound or message to appeal to the masses in the hope of scoring that major deal. Even if a band stumbled across a sound that went viral, it's still considered wrong and against everything good music stands for. You are entitled to judge any artist on one or more of these three criterion. Well, let's look at a few examples. Metallica is a great example of a band that has been charged with being a sellout. Starting in 1982, the band was known for their aggressive riffs and fast tempos, making them huge favorites in the underground music industry. Their first four albums were considered cornerstones of the thrash metal community and to this day are still considered by many as their best work. And then their signature sound was altered drastically in 1991 with the release of the Black Album. Metallica had eased off on the amount of tempo and riff changes in their music and settled on a more traditional format for their songs. They also did away with the epic eight-minute masterpieces, instead favoring shorter songs, which many considered to be an attempt at garnering radio play, which is kind of weird considering the songs also still fell well north of five minutes. The hardcore fan base didn't like any of it, despite the fact that the album was still considerably heavier than anything they'd done before. It still wasn't enough. Metallica? They sold out. But hang on a sec here. I mean, sure, the album is still one of the best selling of all time, and it had multiple videos and radio-ready singles. It still wasn't exactly radio material. Sure, some stations dared play a thrash giant, but for the most part, it was just considered an evolution of music by the band. And by the way, if you want to look at the criterion that we laid out before, Metallica was guilty of selling out years before the Black Album was even conceived. They were signed to a major label in 1986, but that might be too uncomfortable of a truth for a lot of people. And to add insult to injury, even when they tried to go back to the roots with their latest album, Hardwired, the song shot straight up the charts, like Atlas Rise. That hit number one on the mainstream rock charts. Yeah, mainstream. Disingenuous is sellout. So Metallica is a great example of a band that sold out, at least on paper. They met all three criterion. They left an indie label for a major one. They completely morphed their music into a mainstream sound for the masses. And yes, their music's been used in advertising. So why aren't they as reviled as Nickelback? Well, that might have something to do with the content. 
a study in Finland tried to look at the reason most critics hate Nickelback and found that the majority of critics in their country considered them to be fake. It was also referred to as forced and performed through gritted teeth. Overall, the main implication was that the music was not genuine self-expression written freely, but instead forced and made for commercial reasons. By the way, that is a direct quote. Okay then, that's another reason. Let's test that one out on another band considered a sellout. And I know I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for this, bring it on, but Nirvana. I can already hear the angry typing. Anyhow, Nirvana is a complete and utter sellout. Case in point, compare their first album, Bleach, with Nevermind. And no, I don't care what Kurt and the gang did after that, because if it wasn't for Nevermind, all the albums that followed would have never been made. And yes, Nevermind is a massive sellout. And Kurt Cobain knew it. Now, the album did have some really well-written and thought-out songs. Polly, for example. But their first smash hit, Smells Like Teen Spirit, doesn't exactly fall under that category. Uh, it's catchy, I will agree, but images of Kurt frantically scribbling down the lyrics of the song 30 minutes before it was recorded, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I'm sure there have been some of society's finest that have tried to interpret what that song means. Uh, but let's be honest, not really anything. So there is a song that is about as disingenuous as anything Nickelback has done, perhaps even more. And yet there's a place in many hearts for good old Nirvana. Plus, I think it helps that Kurt may have been trying to be ironic, but still. You know what? I'm, I'm starting to feel bad for Nickelback now. How Nickelback actually sold out. To be honest, the 90s were all about sellouts. It became almost fashionable to do so. The labels were rushing out and trying to capture the Seattle grunge sound with anyone they could, which led to a pitiful decade of one-hit wonders and, and posers. And this is the point that Nickelback comes into the picture. Now, they got their start in small-town Alberta, Canada. They played gigs under the name Village Idiot and were known for doing mostly covers. Then Chad Kroger asked his dad for four grand to cut an album, and they got their start. Two grand went into the new album, and the other half went to Magic Mushrooms. Not a bad choice. Now, that album was called Curb, and though it didn't get them signed immediately, it was enough to garner the interest of Roadrunner rep Ron Berman. He came to one of their shows in Vancouver, heard one of their new songs, and was hooked, thinking they would be a major hit. And boy, was he wrong. Now, that new album was called The State, and it did hit Billboard 200. Not too bad, but it didn't get any higher than 130th. It went slightly higher in the UK, though in Germany they were much bigger, going as high as 57th. Two of the singles were able to crack the top 10 for mainstream rock though, Breathe and Leader of Men. Now this was the song that got them signed, and you might notice, though it is unmistakably Nickelback, you can tell it doesn't quite have that zing. Okay then, pretty standard stuff. Late 90s post-grunge rock, not yet at the point of being the most hated band in rock music. In fact, the critics were basically non-existent on that record, perhaps due to the fact that they weren't quite as widely known yet. Now, because of the lack of the success from that album, Chad decided to do some research in how to write a hit song. According to him, and this is in his words, he studied every piece everything sonically, lyrically, musically, as well as chord structures. He would dissect every single song he heard on the radio just to find out why it did so well. And of course, that led to a monster of an album. 
but it also creates a bit of a black mark against the band. I mean, that statement pretty much admits to wanting to write the most mainstream music for the masses. Like, dude wanted to eat. He wanted to be a superstar. You can't really blame him, can you? And the result of all of this was Silver Side Up. By the way, as almost a sign from the gods, it had the honor of being one of the albums released on the worst day and time of all time. It came out September 11th, 2001. And the critics emerge. Uh, the release date didn't seem to matter though. It was a massive success, eventually selling over 10 million copies worldwide. And they put Canada on the map for something other than Rush and Brian Adams. This thing hit the top 10 in almost every country. And if it didn't, it came awfully close. Let's just say that Chad Kroger's research may have paid off. And even if you hate them now, you probably have to admit you liked the music when it first came out because at this time it wasn't frowned upon to like their music. Not yet anyways. The critics were circling though. And yeah, perhaps due to the magnitude of the album sales or just to go against popular trends, the critics didn't look too kindly on that album. One of my favorite lines comes from Rolling Stone magazine. Critic Matt Dial gave it two out of five stars saying, nearly every song seems trapped in the amber of early 90s Seattle aesthetics, the sonic equivalent of too many unfortunate goatees. Oh. And sure, the album was written to be one massive hook catchy and dripping with love melodies with just enough edge to keep it in the realm of rock. But come on, everyone was doing it in the early 2000s. Hoobastank was a thing, remember them? Puddle of Mud and For the Love of God Train was actually considered a rock act at one time. Why so hard on Nickelback? The difference. Well, whatever the reason, they only got bigger and bigger. And as I said in the beginning, to date, they are well north of 50 million albums sold. So. I guess we circle around to why. Well, it might actually boil down to one single fact. People will accept mass appeal in pop music, but they cannot accept it in rock. Because despite the criterion we've laid out earlier and all the excuses of why you need to hate them, the one thing that these sellouts have in common is mass appeal. There were Nickelback singles that never made it to rock radio, but instead were played on top 40 stations. And several other bands that have been blacklisted can wave that flag too. And though the name of this video does seem inflammatory, it really isn't. The only reason you have to hate Nickelback is because everyone actually likes them. Sorry. Oh yeah, one last parting shot. If you're ever confused about how much everyone claims to hate them, well, they have been voted the number one musical turnoff by Taste Buds FM, and in 2013, they were ranked as the second worst band of all time by Rolling Stone. The only band to beat them was Creed. That's sad. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.